Well, do a welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. We're disciples of Jesus that build generational, transformational disciples of Jesus. I'm Pastor Aaron. I'm glad that you guys are with me today and welcome online as well as we continue our series through Transformed, how God cha- transforms us and how that changes everything. And really today we get to talk about the next step of the transformation that God brings into us and that is with how he transforms our families. And uh, I don't know if you looked in our culture, um, Families are in a rough spot. There's a lot of brokenness out there, and I've certainly gotten to see a lot of that, especially through this, the lockdowns, the pandemic. Uh, I think a lot of issues that maybe have been able to been pushed to the back are now kind of coming up to the forefront, and uh, it's been a lot of struggle and, and a lot of families. So I want you to know that there's a better way that God has given us. In fact, I think oftentimes uh, we think of the sexual revolution as something that happened in the 60s. But that's not. That was the sexual de-evolution. Uh, the real sexual evolution started all the way back in the first century. Uh, if you question that, I encourage you to read Romans chapter 1 and just compare our society to the first century society described in there and see how we began. Uh, that uh, culture had been uh, pretty broken and families were not all that great. But ever since the first century, one of the greatest social revolutions that ever took place was the Judeo-Christian ethic of sex and family, which allowed society to grow and to blossom. And a couple decades ago, we decided to get rid of that, and now we see the consequence. But uh, here's a good thing, that God still can transform families, and he can still change lives in the midst of this. There is a better way than what we see in culture today, and that is what we get to talk about. Now, before we do, of course, we want to have our memory verse, which is the theological foundation for this entire series. We go back to that from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you're new to us with this, just say it along with us a few times. Pretty soon it'll start to stick. I promise. All right, ready? Three, two, one. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Second Corinthians 5.17. You sound beautiful this morning again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. Second Corinthians 5.17. Awesome. Apparently the computer thought higher of you than I did. It decided we're just going to miss that second day. All right, well, let's get into the Word today. It's got a lot to cover. So if you have your Bibles, let's open them up to the book of Ephesians, chapter 5. We're going to be in verse 21 uh, and moving on from there. This is one of three passages in the New Testament that speaks specifically about family and the structure of family. In fact, uh, in the Word of God, we find that God only gives structure to two institutions. Everything else, he said, you can design it however you want. He said you can have government however you want, business however you want, your economic models can be however you want. There are two institutions that God gives structure to, and he does that because those institutions reflect him. And so he's very specific of how these two institutions are to be structured. The first one has the church, and we get to talk about that next week. And the second one is family, right? And so we're going to be reading about this today. How does God want family structured? There are two other places that you can read about this in the New Testament that speak specifically to it. There's uh, Colossians 3 that speaks to family and how it's to be structured in 1 Peter chapter 3. And I encourage you, that's some further reading if you want to get an A+. I guess. There you go. Uh, Good stuff. Now, we're going to be starting in verse 21. Let me just read this for you, and uh, then we'll 
get our, our observations. It says there, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, for which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of the water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body, just as Christ does the church, who we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, in this passage, we learn a couple of important things about marriage. And the first one is that marriage is a lifetime union of a man to a woman, right? That's how God defines marriage. He designs it, he makes it, and that's the first thing that I think we need to get. The marriage is from God. He does something here. He set it up. And how did he set it up? Go back to creation, right? He's referencing Genesis in our design, right? And in Genesis chapter 2, where where he says that uh, for a man shall leave his father and mother, he's quoting that. He says, in Genesis uh, chapter 2 is what it says. The man said, this is the bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. That's where we get the definition of marriage. Marriage means bond. That's what it means, that God bonds you, right? It's part of our created design, which is something phenomenal. It's miraculous. It's an amazing thing. And this is why I think marriage is found everywhere in every culture, right? Even where Christianity has never gone to, you go to, to new tribes, new places, and what do you find? Marriage. It's something that you find everywhere. Why? It's part of who we are. It's, it's part of our basic design, Right? And what is marriage? Well, it's the combining of two into one. And as we talked about last week, God made us male and female. Right? In his image, he created them. And so we join each other. Marriage is masculine and feminine bonded into one. The two become one. It's an amazing miracle. It's a way that we reflect God and his fullness and his glory. This is why it's so futile for people to redefine marriage. All you're doing is you're calling something that's not marriage, marriage. It's living ultimately a lie, right? But it's God is the one who actually makes marriage. Look at what it says here. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife. A man doesn't unite himself to his wife. A wife doesn't unite herself to her husband. God unites them. Right? Only God is going to bond, and only God's going to bond two people together that are in his design. Marriage is a union, a lifetime union between one man and one woman. That's what it is. And we celebrate that. There's a very good thing to it. Now, have we seen perversion of that throughout the world? Yeah, and it doesn't work. But what we can see is that at least God gives us a design, and once we know how it's supposed to work, at least we can honor that and work towards it, which is a good thing, right? But why would God do this? What was the primary reason? Why would God do this crazy thing called marriage? Why? 
Well, I think the first thing is that we recognize the primary purpose of marriage is to reflect God's image and nature, right? This is why God made marriage is for us to reflect him in his holiness, in his, his uniqueness. Humans were made unlike anything else in God's image. Male and female, he created us. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, right? I think oftentimes when people come to me for premarital counseling, and oftentimes in post-marriage counseling, we have wrong expectations that have to be corrected. You see, oftentimes people think that I'm getting married so that I can be happy, or I can be fulfilled, or I can be loved, or I can have companionship. And all of those are great benefits of a good marriage. But that's not why we get married. The primary reason for marriage, that God designed it, is so we could be image bearers. This is why marriage is holy, it's unique. It's why we are not supposed to mess with it. It's why we honor it. This is why we make vows. If it was just for your own good, you wouldn't have to make a vow because when things got worse, you would be out. But as far as I remember, the vows are that I'm going to stay with you in sickness as well as in health. Right? In richer when I'm better off financially for being with you and in poor when you're a, a financial drag. I'm, I'm vowing to stick with you for better when things are great in my life, right? Because I'm with you, um, there's a benefit. But also, if you are making my life objectively worse, that's the vow. Why? Because it's not about my happiness or my richness or, or, or me. Christianity begins with this, that there is a new creation has come. It's not about me. This is why this message and for marriage, godly marriage, is for Christians. If you're not a Christian, maybe you're watching this and you're offended, trust me, this is the least of your worries right now. You needed to get right with Jesus. But if you are a Christian and the new creation has come, recognize that we have a profound responsibility to reflect God well, and we do that oftentimes and intentionally through our marriages. Right? Look at uh, what it says in uh, verse, uh, chapter 1 of Genesis, verse 27. It says, God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Right? We quoted that a few times already. This is huge for us to understand that we are made, male and female, we reflect him. This is a profound thing. Once we understand that as Christians, we start that it's not about us, that this is, marriage is an institution fundamentally just like the church that was designed to reflect God and his goodness and his glory, how we approach it changes. And so then we can begin to honor marriage for what it is. Now, why is it important that we keep marriage holy? Because it's a reflection of God. It's part of who he is. In fact, God takes it personally then when we dishonor marriage. In the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews is talking to Christians, by the way, and he says this, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. He's talking to Christians. God cares very deeply that we honor this union and he takes it very personally if we dishonor it to the point that there will be a judgment. 
you may not like what I have to say about this. In fact, I hope that sometimes when I preach, I say things that you don't like because I'm not here to make you happy. And if the word of God never tells you something different than you already agree with, you're not listening. It's why God gave it to us. God takes marriage seriously, and we as the people of God must do also. Sexual sin is a form of blasphemy. It dishonors and dis, the, the image of God. It's why God takes it personal. He says, don't do it. Do you think there's infidelity between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Then there should not be infidelity in our own marriages. There's nothing strange in the relationship of the Trinity, and there ought not be something strange or bizarre or perverted in the marriage relationship either. This is important. And God has warned us very clearly so that we will not be without excuse, which is good. But you know, it's not just sexual sin, but it's also abuse is not honoring. Abuse is a gross perversion of marriage. Marriage is not like a boxing ring that there are just ropes there that God you know, sticks you in a cage match, right? That the other person can just beat you to a pulp and you can't escape. That's not what the bonds of marriage are for. That's perversion of it. That's not how the Holy Spirit and the Father and the Son work. If we're going to honor marriage, it's not just that we don't get divorced. It's that we have great marriages. That we learn to have good relationships. Because that reflects the, the, the greatness of our God. That's why we do it. And so the question is, I know some of you aren't married. In fact, a lot of people aren't married. This message is for all of us. All of us. You know that God has a standard for each one of us and it's purity. For those who are married, it's to be sexually and as well as emotionally, you are committed to your spouse. Right? You're going to be pure. That's, that's the way that it's going to be. Your sexuality is going to be contained. That's one of the sexual revolution that happened in the first century that changed everything. We begin to honor God in this. If you are not married, it's to be sexually pure. Right? You are to abstain. That's the way that it is. I didn't make the rules, but it honors God. And he takes it personally. And if you are in a relationship where you're not honoring this, you have been warned. And as somebody who loves you very much, I say, all of us, all of us should live pure lives. And you know what? A pure life is a great life. It's wonderful, right? We are sexual beings, but that's not all we are. One of the greatest lies that ever was told when I was in high school, they, they started passing out condoms when I was in high school because they were like, kids just can't control themselves. Guess what? We can. I was abstinent by the time all the way till I got married. My wife and I were sexually pure. We could do it, right? Why do we tell our children you're just animals? And you know, as adults, you are not animals either. You are able to have self-control through the power of the Holy Spirit. And as you have power through the Holy Spirit and you walk in purity, you have communion with God and he works in you and through you and you find a life that is so much higher, so much better, so much more fulfilling than gratifying the flesh which is so much about what our faith is about anyway, isn't it? And so when we take the shortcut and we walk into the impurity that the world has, has basically imposed upon us again since we have sexually de-evolved, we find ourselves never satisfied, never happy. There seems to be this judgment, this, this distance between us and God. 
We wonder where his power is. It's because we are dishonoring his very image. And it is time then to repent. And repentance is not just feeling bad. It's just living different. Which is the better part of life anyway. Anyway. Shouldn't we want to live according to this new way? If you are following Jesus and you want to do what you want to do, why are you pretending to follow Jesus? You die to your old self. You live a new life because the new life is a great life. The new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. So, we recognize that marriage is about honoring God. And so, therefore, we need to honor God with our bodies. But we also need to honor Him with our attitudes. Abusive marriages, just as much as sexually Impure marriages are intolerable to God. Look what it says in 1 Peter 3. It says, Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect as the weaker partner and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. He's talking to Christians. And he's saying the weaker partner, remember the, the machete and the scalpel? Right? Weaker's not worse. Sometimes delicate's more important. Right? You'll appreciate that if you ever have surgery. Right? Mutual submission. So it should be in marriage. It's not about you. These are not power structures. The other side, the godless people don't understand this. All they see is power struggle structures everywhere. Right? They think that it's who has the power, right? That's what it's all about. It's not about that. God has the power, and he invites us as Christians to lay our power down, to, to take up our cross daily. That's the invitation. So this is not about power. This is not about control. This is about structure that reflects God. That's why Christian marriages should be different. And in God's structure, there are two different roles in marriage. There is a husband and there is a wife. There's two roles. Just like at church here, there is a lead pastor and then someday there'll be an associate pastor, right? And we'll have different jobs, right? Different roles. Equal and important, but different roles. Same thing. In marriage, there's two different roles. Now, the man is the husband, In Scripture, every single time the man is the husband, right? And why? Because in that role, masculinity is used to reflect God's nature in that part of the marriage. And the wife is a woman. Why? Because femininity reflects God's nature in that role in marriage. And that's why it says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be united to whom? His wife. That's those two roles. So let's talk about what is a husband's calling. What is a husband supposed to do in marriage? What is, if, now, get this. I'm not talking about men and women. I want to be very clear about this. This is about husbands and wives. Just like if you're not an employee at a business, you're not subject to that business's structure, right? If you're not in the military, you don't have to salute somebody who has rank, right? This is for those who have voluntarily become married. If you are married, these are the roles that you are to fill and And these are the the responsibilities that God gives to us. The husband. The husband's calling is to love his wife. Throughout Scripture, over and over again, verse 25 even says this in our chapter. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. Husband's calling is to love his wife. A husband's job is to do this. Now, there's different ways that he fulfills that role, that calling, but everything that he does, if it's not loving, he's missing the role, right? Right? 
Just like as a pastor, I, have to, I get to preach for you, I pray for you, all that, but ultimately, my role for you guys is to shepherd you and to love you and to care for you. And if I didn't love you, I could have the greatest passages and, and sermons and all that kind of stuff, but if I didn't love you, I'd be missing my calling, wouldn't I? A husband's call is to love his wife. And that means love is to choose another's good above your own. Husbands need to become selfless not selfish. If a husband becomes selfish, he's missing the role. We have to start there, right? And how do we see this? Well, Christ is the model. And it says, husbands, love yourself, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So if there's any question of what love is, it's choosing her above yourself. So in that calling, what's the role? How does the husband do that? Well, he's to be the head, You can't get to this first. Don't skip to this first. This is where we have power struggles. If a husband isn't loving, if he's selfish, he's going to be a horrible head. The call is to love, to be self-sacrificial, to lay yourself down, to always choose her above yourself. And in that, then God gives you the rights and responsibility to act as the head. Verse 22 and 24 Say that, uh, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. That's the same thing. Just as Christ is the head, so the husband should be the head of his home, right? But a husband also needs to be a loving head, just as Christ is the head. Now, headship means leadership. Why? In God's design, masculine leadership reflects him. Now, are there homes in which a wife has more leadership ability? undeniably, and she can be a leader in business, and she can be a leader in economics, and she can be on boards and all those kind of things. She can exercise her leadership in lots of ways, but in the home, she is supposed to help her husband become a better leader. That's what it means. And sometimes, and this is a hard thing, it's a dying to self. Why? Not about you. The husband is to be the head of the home. It reflects God. Why? Why? Well, I think because of this, how God made men. Remember, masculinity has a couple characteristics. Masculinity is protective, is productive, is directive. What has to do with the responsibilities a husband has for his wife, how he's to be a head. First thing is a husband as a head must provide for their wives. Right? He's not supposed to use his authority to just enrich himself, but to care for his family. Right? Husbands provide for their wives. That's why it's important that men accept responsibility. We can't just say, well, in this marketplace, my wife can make more money than me. Fine, you can work together. There's nothing wrong with a gal working, but don't shirk your responsibility. Provide for her. You need to go up and, and be a guy that provides as much as you can. And this is not just economic, by the way. A husband's supposed to provide for his wife spiritually first. Right? To be the head of the home, and to be, it says here that he wants to make her holy, right? He's supposed to present her to uh, Christ as the church, radiant and pure without stain or blemish. Husbands are supposed to guide their wives closer to Christ, which means that husbands are the ones who should be bringing their wives and families to church. And do you know what happens when they do? When men bring their children to church, they are a much higher rate of those children actually become Christians than if wives are the ones that bring, and, and moms bring their kids to church without the dad. It's, it's, it's amazing how God designed it. It works. Spiritually, men are supposed to lead their family into faith, physically, into financial security and, and physical needs, right? You want to make sure that your house is taken care of, that your wife is safe and your children are safe. Emotionally, providing security, companionship. Husbands also need to protect their wives, right? We are not to just let our lives go out there and, and fend for themselves. 
It's part of the, the, the leadership in love. This is why when something goes bump in the night, you just, uh, the husband is supposed to get up and make sure there's not a bad guy and there's not a bear upstairs, right? But spiritually as well. It, to be in the leader of your home spiritually, you protect your family from bad doctrine and from sin and from neglect. We need to be protecting our families. Look at the state of the world and tell me do families need protection? Man, we need to step up. We can, and God has given you great authority and great responsibility. I think also as we protect them physically with safety and defense, we also need to protect them emotionally with kindness and understanding. Do your children, does your wife feel that you are a person that's safe to talk to? That, that you're somebody who's going to guide them well and not give them horrible counsel or advice or do self-serving things? Are you emotionally providing safety? This is a call. Husbands also must direct their wives. That's that leadership, right? You have to act courageously. That's spiritually acting, providing that leadership, not shirking that off. Physically, by taking responsibility for the family, if you make sure that your family's okay, it's on your shoulders. Emotionally, being the one to initiate. If there's problems in your relationship, are you the one that's waiting for your wife all the time to come and say, hey, there's a problem? Or are you going to take initiative and say, there's something here, let's work through this. What God has called us to do. Husbands have to love their wives. They have to choose her above yourself. This is what we are to do, spiritually, physically, emotionally. We have to consider then, I think, gals, the high value that God places upon ladies. That he would create a position that's supposed to reflect him, that the whole job is to lay himself down for the woman that he's committing himself to. That's pretty high. Let's talk about gals. If you are a lady and you choose to get married, if you're not married, this doesn't apply to you, but if you choose to get married and you become the wife, then your you're calling is to honor your husband. Just as a man cannot fulfill his role if he's not loving, if he's being selfish, a wife cannot feel, fulfill her role if she's not being honoring. And honoring is giving due respect. That's what it means. Verse 22 to 24, it says, Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, which he is a savior. Now, as the church submits to, uh, to Christ in all things, now wives submit, submit to their husbands in everything. This is a choice. This is a laying yourself down. It's, it's one of those things. It's about giving due respect, giving honor, right? And so we need to recognize that submitting is actually just honoring the position. We do this as citizens every day. When we submit to the government, we are honoring the government. How about when you go to work and your boss tells you to do something and you don't like it? You submit to the boss, right? Submission is not a woman's issue. It's a human issue. And in this particular structure, God says in the home, the wives submit to your husbands for, for it to work well. Colossians 3 speaks of it. says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. To not submit, to, to, to try to grab the, the reins of power is a dishonor to the position and you're going to cause problems. Think of it this way. How many steering wheels are in your car? Do you know why there's only one? I'm teaching my son to drive right now. He's a great driver, but early on, <laughs> if there were two steering wheels, we would have been in accidents, right? The, the temptation is sometimes you're like, I can't believe you're doing that. You want to grab it, right? You wanna... But if we are going two different directions, we're going to get in an accident. We're going to crash. We're going to wreck. We're going to become a disaster. How many homes are wrecks and disasters because there's power struggles? Because we act like there's two steering wheels, 
Let your husbands be the lead because Christ is the lead of the church. That's why. Not because he's a better leader, not because you think he's awesome, not because it doesn't require vulnerability, but because you are reflecting the mysterious, holy, amazing image of God. You're letting, you're letting your husband lead because you're also letting Christ lead the church. You get to reflect that to a culture that will scratch their heads and wonder why things work when that happens. So a wife role then is to be the helper. She's not a passenger. She's a co-pilot. Right? There's a big difference. Right? Genesis chapter 2, it says this, The Lord God said it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. This is the role of the wife. Not to leave, but you're supposed to be a partner. Right? We're supposed to work together. Your husband is not supposed to lo- do this life and live this adventure all on his own. You have masking the headship also needs feminine support. And that feminine help reflects the Holy Spirit. In the book of John, Gospel of John, chapter 14, this is Jesus saying, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. That same word help is the same one used here in this passage about the role of the wife. The same one used in Genesis to be a helper. It's a high and lofty position. Now remember, the women, the wives are uniquely ability to, to do this because they're feminine. And femininity is rela- relational, civilizing, and nurturing. Right? Feminine help advocates for the head. That's what it says here. Another advocate. Right? And what's an advocate? It's the opposite of an adversary. Wives, you're not supposed to be an adversary. You know who the adversary of our soul is? The devil. Satan. Do you know what the devil and Satan mean? Their translation, they're, one's Greek, one's Hebrew. It means adversary. Don't be a devil to your husband. Right? We want to be a helper. You have a responsibility, and you help through partners, partnership. You're not a drag, and you're not the lead. You're supposed to be right by his side. You're supposed to help him. Men need partnership. They don't need somebody to just, they don't need another child. They need somebody who's their equal, who's going to help them through life. You give partnership through your advice and your counsel and your wisdom and your prayers and your kindness and your mercy. Right? You help your husband. That's why it says it's not good for a man to be alone. He's not supposed to be up there all alone and by himself. Being his partner means being his equal and his ally. He needs to know that you're on his side, that you're there to see both of you succeed. And that's going to require you to accept vulnerability. Just like when I was teaching my son to drive, it accepts a lot of vulnerability. And you sit in that passenger seat. I'm not silent. I'm not just a passenger. I'm helping. Right? But I'm still vulnerable. If he does something boneheaded, we both hurt. So I'm going to give him as good a counsel as I possibly can. I'm going to encourage him best I can. I'm going to make sure that we don't wreck. When I was associate pastor here for 10 years, I got to learn this. God gifted me as a leader. It's who I am. But for 10 years, I got to sit under another really great, strong leader. Right? And I had to learn to submit to him. Right? And so I would bring, before Scott was making decisions, I would bring my good counsel to him and I would do it respectfully, not like, Scott, you're boneheaded. I'd be like, Scott, have you considered this? And you know what would happen is sometimes he would listen to me. And sometimes he would say, no, I'm not going to do that. I would help him make the right decision. But then once he made a decision, it was my job to make his decision right. And there were a good number of initiatives where I think that I was in the right, but because I didn't sabotage him, Actually, the better thing happened. Wives, you get to help your husband. See him succeed. Be the advocate he needs, the one person in this world that's not competing against him. Be a partner. And as you'd be a partner, act virtuous. One of the ways that wives help their husbands is to civilize them. And it's through their virtue. 
You have to act like a lady. He, he needs a beauty, not a beast. He doesn't need a guy that's going to go and help corrupt him all the more. Your husband doesn't need help with that. He needs someone to help draw you up. 1 Peter 3, talking about wives, says, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives. You know what that is? Virtue. When they see the purity and the reverence of your lives. The power of a virtuous woman can transform society. It can transform lives. It can transform families. A virtuous woman is a powerful woman. It's why the devil is so afraid of virtuous women. What is the devil trying to do more than anything to our young ladies right now? Make them crass and corrupt. Why? Virtuous women change the world. And they do it with a delicate finesse. Wives, pursue virtue. My son did a wonderful thing this week. I was so proud of him. I'm going to brag on you. He made a video for his class that used a little rap video in it. And the original video that it was part of, because it's rap, is not appropriate for ladies' ears. And my wife said, I want to hear the original. And my son said, no. <laughs> and me, not protecting my family in a failure, I said, oh, come on, Thomas, she's strong. And he's like, no. He did what I should have done. He protected her virtue. He honored her. Is my wife can't hear because she's too fragile? No, she's too important. And to keep her virtue as a value, it's a prize. Wives, be virtuous. Your husband needs it. So accept your virtue. Accept faith. Let God work and reject vulgarity. Keep your homes a place of, of light and of love and of truth and of goodness. And as you do that, the third thing that wives do is to make a home. Now I was going to say be a homemaker, but that word is so charged that I would... 80% of you would just throw stuff at me right now. But that's what it says in Scripture. Wives must be makers of the home. You're the only one equipped to do it. Just like a, a builder builds a house, right? I was an electrician, I could do my part. But a builder builds a house. Wives, you have the great ability to do something that nobody else can do, and that's build a home. See, a lot of people say that our culture has a housing crisis. Might be true. We have a home crisis. We have too many houses that are not homes. And wives, you're the one tasked by God, gifted by God, made by God to be able to make a house, a home. So how do you do it? Proverbs 14.1 tells wives this, a wise woman builds her house, but with her own hands, a foolish one tears it down. You're doing one of the two. If you're a wife, if you're not building your home, making it a great place, you're destroying it. A wise woman is going to help build her home. Now, this is not about decor. This is not about housework. It's not about being girly. Girly has as much to do with femininity as, as machoism has to do with being masculine. Being a home is this. In Scripture, you have responsibility. You make your home your first priority. If you're a wife, that's your role. You make it a priority. Biblical homemaking is not about making the right decor or making it pretty. It's about, it's about the attitude and the commitment to build a culture in your house. That family can grow and is to watch over your house, is to manage your house, is to maintain your house. A great passage that really demonstrates all of these, Proverbs 31, which I know most women hate, but I'll tell you this, it shows the high and lofty position that women truly have, how much authority you do have in the home. Homemaking is the highest and most exalted position in all of Scripture. That's why God reserves it for a very small few, only women who choose to be wives. But all of society is built on what? families if the homes are not built society crumbles isn't that what we see so let's tie it all together for you gals because i know there's a lot to it 
Titus 2 says this, and he's talking about older women discipling younger women in the church. It says, urge the younger women to love their husbands and their children. You see partnership in that? To be self-controlled and pure. Do you see virtue in there? To be busy at home. Do you see making a home in that? I hope so. To be kind, honor, there's respect in that. And to be subject to their husbands as a helper, not an advocate or adversary, so that no one will lie in the word of God. You see, gals, if, if for the wives that are amongst us to live that role and to fulfill it, it leads to God being honored. Why? Because the image of God is being reflected correctly, rightly. In the world that has no idea what Jesus looks like, they should be able to look at your family, your marriage, and say, ah, I see something there. So, here's what we want to do. Transform families. First thing we need to do is accept God's institution of marriage. As Christians, if you're not in Christ, you need to accept Jesus. This message isn't for you. But if you are in Christ, accept God's institution of marriage. One man, one woman for life. We also need to respect God's purpose for marriage. It is about honoring him. It's about reflecting him to a world that needs us. It's about his image, not about me, not about what makes me happy, about reflecting him. If we honor him with our marriages, great things happen, which means that we have to, we have to maintain sexual purity, both those that are married and not married, which means we need to make sure that we don't have abusive homes, that we have good homes. And if you need help with the other of those things, you're going to find help here in the church this is what we do, and we do it really well. And we will help you begin to respect God's purpose, not just for marriage, but for life. And the last thing is then we're going to honor God's design for marriage. Right? We're going to, husbands, if you're a man and you're married, be that husband, that head that loves his wife in all things, that protects her, provides for her, right? that, that lays down his life for her and lifts her up, that provides her everything she needs to make the home that God has designed her to make. For wives, that is to, to be that, that feminine support, that help that respects your husband in all things, allowing him to fulfill his role in a way that honors God in all people. So what do you do with this? Well, if you're YouTube, you probably uh, cut me off and censor me. But you're not YouTube. So for the rest of us, I've got some next steps for us. Because as a church, we live in a culture that doesn't have an understanding of what marriage is about. And I think each of us, whether you're married or not, have got some things that we can apply from this. So on your connection card, I've given you a couple options, a couple things to do. First thing I'm going to do is challenge you. Why don't you memorize 2 Corinthians 5.17? Remember that this is all about being the new creation. This is an invitation. That God says there's a new life. Jesus says, come follow me. And this is the new way of life, a better way of life. A way of life, by the way, from the first century all the way up till here of recently, transform culture. It can transform your family too. Maybe what you want to do is read more about this. Read it for Ephesians 5. Read it for yourself. Take some time with God's word. I'm, see if I'm making things up. See it there. Something else you can do, pray for your spouse. This is one of the greatest ways that all of us can serve our families, whether you're leading or you're helping and supporting. Pray for your spouse. If, no one, if, if you're not praying for them, who is? But for all of us, I think, commit to our role. If you're married, if you're a husband, be a husband. If you're married and you're a woman, be a wife. If you're not married, then be that wonderful support and honor marriage for its design. 
All of us have something to do. Hopefully, I've given you something to do. Um, please make your commitments. You can mark those down in your cards. If you have a prayer request, mark those down. In just a second, we're going to uh, sing a song, and then we're going to leave. And I encourage you to take those connection cards along with your commitments and your tithes and offerings and drop them in the back of the church. If you're online, uh, you can do that on our webpage. All right. Well, let me pray for you as we uh, wrap up this portion of the message. Father God, we thank you for your goodness, your kindness, your love, your mercy, and, Lord, that you've given us this divine privilege to be able to represent you even in our marriages. Father, I pray for the marriages in this church that you will build them up, Lord, that you would continue to purify them and, and help them to reflect you in your goodness and your glory. Father, for those who are struggling today with sexual impurity, if they're struggling today with, with a bad behaviors, Father God, I pray that you bring the healing work of your Holy Spirit that brings conviction and change and repentance, but also restoration and transformation, Lord. May we be generational transformational disciples because of your work in our lives. Lord, Father, I pray too for the commitments we've made today that you would help draw us closer to you through those acts of faith and appeal to you for change in our own hearts and lives. And Father, we, we pray that as you do this, that we would glorify you for you are truly good. We pray all of this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.